Welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 114. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. This is the second episode from this year's Denver Film Festival, DFF 39. Very exciting. Loved the lineup of films this year and loved the lineup of guests that I have. Last week, talked to Jeff Grace. He was the writer and director of Folk Hero and Funny Guy. This week, it's all about documentaries. That's right. You're getting a double shot this week. Two documentaries on the slate on the John of All Trades podcast. Up first, Jeremy Stuhlberg, the producer and editor of Growing Up Koi. Now, what is Growing Up Koi? It's a documentary that takes place here in Colorado, here in the heartland, here in what is sometimes pejoratively referred to as flyover country. It's a place that you may not immediately suspect is the site of of a major civil rights battle, and I would call it a major civil rights landmark. Growing up, Coy follows the story of Coy Mathis. Now, Coy Mathis was born a boy, but started to present and identify as a girl. As a result of that, Coy wanted to use the girls' restroom at school. The school district said no. The Mathis family sued and challenged that, and what unfolded was a huge media spotlight focused squarely on them. Now, when I talked to Jeremy about this, he said when they got into this, they were looking to do some sort of movie about transgender rights. And is there a case that they could follow where they could talk to the family? This one came up. They thought, okay, Fountain, Colorado, probably be confined to this one town. That's not how it went. Front page of the New York Times, Rolling Stone covered it, and then it took off internationally. I mean, just an unbelievable amount of attention. And what's so remarkable about watching this film is you've got this family. You've got the Mathis family, who, by all accounts, are pretty mainstream, pretty, you know, standard family, the way you look at them. You know, you've got a former Marine married to his wife. So they have five kids. One of the kids has cerebral palsy. One of them is on the autistic spectrum. And to watch them navigate this world and navigate the various challenges of their kids and do it with such grace and such good nature and such good humor is remarkable. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from the film is if your child identified as transgendered, how would you handle it? My guess is if you are a loving parent, you would do everything you could to make your child's life as comfortable and as good and as pleasant as it possibly could be. And the fact that the Mathises were willing to wage this fight in such a public way and uproot their lives and... You know, put their very marriage at risk, given the amount of stress and amount of pressure that's on them in going public with this type of story is, to me, just absolutely remarkable. And talking with Jeremy, that's what he was struck by as one of the filmmakers. So a lot going on in this week's episode. If you live in Colorado or, I mean, hell, if you live anywhere, you probably heard about this case. So to see it when it starts about six weeks before they go public with this fight all the way through to its conclusion to their victory on the state capitol steps is just it's it's terrific i i recommend this film highly one other thing that comes up i mean among many on this week's episode is that i kind of realized as i was going through it and i was putting the episode together 
I don't necessarily have super mainstream views of gender. And that comes up in this week's episode. I don't so much see gender as a binary. And a lot of that is a result of being married to my wife, who studied transgender rights issues in graduate school. So, I mean, 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, she was talking to me about transgendered people and gender confirmation surgery. And, you know, she wrote her thesis on this movie, Better Than Chocolate, which had a transgendered character in it. So I've had this in my brain for more than a decade, which, which is why I wanted to talk to Jeremy when he came to the Denver Film Festival. And he just, he could not have been nicer or more gracious. It was a real pleasure to talk to him, highlight his work, and talk about this film, Growing Up Coy. If you are joining us for the first time, John of All Trades is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Check us out on both of those platforms. Just search John of All Trades, J-O-N of All Trades. iTunes has the most recent 100 episodes. If you want to go deeper than that, you got to go to the John of All Trades website. That's J-O-N of All Trades dot U-S. We're also on all the social media platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest. You can find us on all four of those platforms. It's at J-O-A-T pod. So go to Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Snapchat, and just type in J-O-A-T pod. You'll be able to find us there. Let's get to this week's episode. It's the second from the Denver Film Festival, DFF 39. It's with the producer and editor of Growing Up Koi, a fantastic documentary, Jeremy Stuhlberg. His episode starts right now. It was actually great. It was actually one of the best screenings or most engaged screenings I've had. Oh, really? Okay. So, like, what made it one of the most engaged? Um, The people were really, like, um, you could just feel when they're excited about the film and the issue and they they just want to talk about it. They have a lot of uh, very relevant, thoughtful... Pertinent questions? Pertinent questions, yeah. So, like, when you do a screening like this... What kinds of questions are you getting? Oh, lots. The first question is always like, how did you meet these people? <laughs> right. <laughs> because it is kind of, you know, I would think that too if I were watching it. Sure. And I had never seen it before. <laughs> right. And that's always my first question whenever I see a documentary. Like, how did they get involved with these people? Right. Like, what's the origin story for it? Yeah, what's the origin story? <laughs> exactly. So, like, so would you mind sharing that with me then? Sure, no problem. Yeah, um, of course. Um, and by the way, before we do that, sitting here with Jeremy Stuhlberg, mm-hmm. the producer and editor of Growing Up Koi, documentary here at the Denver Film Festival. I saw it. I thought it was tremendous. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin story of how you got involved with the Mathis family? Sure. Well, we live in New York, my husband and I. My husband, Eric, directed the film, and I produced and edited it. So we live in New York, and the um, attorney for the family also lives in New York, and we had been wanting to do a film about transgender rights. We had previously done a film about LGBTQ rights in Oklahoma. Right. right. And so we were talking to him about it, and this was before anything was ha- anything was happening with transgender in the news, obviously, and it was before trans was trending, and it was before Caitlyn Jenner came out and everything like that. Right. So we had we were talking to him for like a good year about do you have a case that could be relevant for a film? Is it possible to find that? And it was an ongoing conversation. Right. And then this story came and it was 
something that we were interested in. We had no idea where it was going to go. Well, no, of course not. Yeah, but we, you know, it turned out to be this, you know, story about a child who um, is fighting and her family is fighting to use the girls' bathroom in uh, her elementary school in Fountain, Colorado, down by Colorado Springs. A, a child born as a boy, but who identified as a, as a little girl. Uh, exactly. Correct. And, you know, we thought that it was going to be like a small town story that was just going to be confined to that little town and that it would be very, you know, a little bit easy to do that. Right. You know, uh, being poor documentary filmmakers, (laughs) we were like, yeah, that will be pretty straightforward. That sounds perfect. Of course, it turned out to be anything but straightforward. The uh, case went national um, and it became it was on the front cover of The New York Times and Rolling Stone covered it. And it was Internationally, it was a sensation too, which is covered in the film. But we had no idea what kind of a a ride we were in store for. Yeah, yeah. no, I certainly not. And being from Denver and being attuned to this issue, and just by way of biography here, something that that I found kind of interesting that I share with people is, I met my wife in graduate school at Colorado State University, and she studied both gender, LGBTQ rights, and constitutional law. Wow. So this was really sort of in her wheelhouse, and she wrote her master's thesis on uh, a Canadian film called Better Than Chocolate. Oh, wow. Uh, are you familiar with that movie? I've never seen that. Okay. It, uh, it was very small, but uh, there's a character in it named Judy who was a trans character. And so she got really into trans issues. And this was like 2004, 2005. A while ago, yeah. Yeah. And so she would call me up and tell me all these things about trans issues and, you know, how gender confirmation surgeries worked. And she's calling me. I'm going, what are you talking to? What? Like, what is going on here? Why? I, I haven't thought of this in my life. And yet now here it is right in front of me. But what I realized was, without knowing it, I was getting set up for the next sort of really great civil rights movement. Absolutely. And so when this film came up, uh, and I was actually looking to do shows at the Denver Film Festival, this was one I requested. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk to a filmmaker just because this is such a unique story. And having lived in Colorado while this happened, I mean, we heard about it quite a bit. This was Fountain, Colorado. We had friends who lived in Fountain, Colorado at that time. Oh, wow. And so seeing the film, uh, I was struck by one of the biggest things that I think you can take away from it is just how normal the family is, right? Yeah. And, and when I say normal, I mean like traditional visions and versions of normal. Yeah. Right, like the the way culture understands normal to be. Right, they're an everyday family on a lot of levels, but they're also extraordinary. That was one hundred percent. Yeah, that was the thing that 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 dichotomy and that duality was what we found to be so fascinating immediately about them. The fact that they were totally mainstream, totally yeah. like they felt to us like you know mom and dad, right? Um, and a then, former marine, yeah. You know, Mary's young, his uh, his his sweetheart, and they have kids. Yeah. They have a family. They have a big family. And so, yeah, I mean, that was sort of what we what we were drawn to. We were, we were like, this is a family that's uh, an ordinary family in extraordinary circumstances. Right. Um, they have a, a couple of kids who have various disabilities, and they're handling it with, like, incredible grace. And then they were put to the test in this way right. that, you know, and they're also very young. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think 
naive as we were too. You know, we didn't know how big this was going to be or how, what was going to happen. Um, And so, you know, they kind of got caught up in this crazy media firestorm and this whirlwind. and And that was something that, you know, it was incredible. When you start to make a documentary, it's always about like the seed of an idea because you don't know where it's going to go if it's a verite documentary, like where you're just following kind of fly on the wall and you don't know what's going to happen. So it's just like sort of like the seed of an idea. Like you're like, this is this family is going to be put in some interesting circumstances. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? but something's going to happen that sure, is yeah. interesting. And I don't know what it is, but we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I mean, as a filmmaker, that's kind of a terrifying prospect, is it not? Absolutely. But that's why I, we, my husband, Eric and I make documentaries because <laughs> right. it's like, there's a rush associated with that. It's like, you know, and it's like, and it carries you throughout the process, which is a long process. We started this film in January of 2013, and here we are, and it's almost 2017. So yeah. that's a long time. Um, and, you know, I'm still talking about this issue, and I'm still, you know, engaged in this issue, and, and yeah. the, what, and these characters, and these people, and the story, and, you know, the ways in which these personal moments became, you know, incredibly political. Yeah. And so that's like, you know, that's the thing that when you have a story, it's like it's capturing lightning in a bottle, but you don't exactly know what's going to happen. And you're just like, I know something's going to happen. That's always like the thing that if you can find that, that's when you know you want to make a movie about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, you all, how many festivals have you done? How, how long have you been touring growing up, Koi? Uh, we started with the Human Rights Watch Festival in New York City, which um, is done at Lincoln Center. And that was a great venue to start with because it really was um, about the issue. And, it oh, was, certainly, and we yeah. were able to really focus in on the issue of transgender rights and specifically transgender children's rights. And we were interviewed by the New York Times. And it was really, really a great uh, venue for this particular film. And then we've taken it across the globe, really. I mean, Eric right now, my husband, is in yep. Brazil screening the film. That's that's why he's oh. not able to be here. But we went to the United Kingdom and Canada and, you know, we have a festival in uh, Prague and all over the place. And so it's 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 these issues are coming to the forefront, you know, all over the place in the yeah. Western world, certainly, and in other regions of the world also. So it's, you know, it's it's a it's an issue that I think a lot of people are interested in. Well, yeah, I, and and I think they should, given a, a couple of things I think are at play here. And a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Daniel Ramos, who is the executive director of One Colorado. And One Colorado is an LGBTQ uh, advocacy organization. Uh, they advocate equal rights for all. They're, they're tremendous. They do a lot of work in the state house, which we're just across the street from. Yeah, I know. <laughs> which also played a huge role in the film. Yeah. Because that's where they, right across the street was where they, yeah. uh, you know, first did the press conference to yeah. announce the case. And it was, yeah. So. And, and that's where they, they also announced victory. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're sitting in the shadow of that, which is <laughs> kind of <laughs> amazing. <laughs> kind of crazy. That's why I had to come to Denver because oh, yeah. I, it was just, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of full circle, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I, and, and it's, so funny uh at various points you know we we hear michael on the phone um the attorney the attorney and you know he's talking on his on his bluetooth uh in the car and uh my wife and i are like okay that's 70 that's by our house that's by our old house (laughs) like uh you know it it's it's playing the i've been there game yeah yeah which which, you know is kind of fun but when i was talking to daniel a couple of things came up you know First of all, HB2 or HR2, I think it's called in North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, known as the North Carolina bathroom law. Yeah. 
And then, uh, you know, shows like Orange is the New Black, you have Laverne Cox. Who's uh, also in the film, by the way. Absolutely. She does make, uh, she does make an appearance. And then a personal hero of mine is Laura Jane Grace, the lead singer of Against Me. Oh, I did not know that um, she was trans. You, you did not know that? No. Her album is Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Oh, okay. Um, I against, <laughs> me, um, against Me is just an absolutely killer punk band. They will melt your face right off. And Laura Jane Grace was born as Tom Gable. Oh, wow. Tom Gable, uh, big article in Rolling Stone about when Tom decided to transition into Laura Jane Grace. Mm-hmm. And married at the time, and now they, you know, they've since separated. But she identifies as a woman, and she is still putting out just unbelievable music. Yeah. Just killing it. Fantastic. And so she's an absolute hero of mine because in the punk rock community, community I find to be very accepting, it's still sort of overly masculine in a lot of ways. This was a career risk for her, but uh, it, it seems to have paid off. My point in bringing all this up is we seem to have, uh, and, and then of course, Caitlyn Jenner, we seem to have a lot more exposure to the transgender community than we had previously. Absolutely. And I brought this up with Daniel. You know, you think back to even like 20 years ago and a film like The Wedding Singer, mm-hmm. which is a pretty light comedy, but you've got Alexis Arquette in that movie essentially doing what amounts to blackface, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of the characterization. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's. It's it's not terribly nuanced. It's a character there for ridicule. And so when a movie like Growing Up Koi comes along and you see this sweet little girl, just this totally normal, average little girl in the in the heartland of America just wanting to go to school with as little headache and pushback as possible – you go, God, what are we fighting about, right? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. That was that's our hope with the film, you know, that it that it kind of sparks that kind of thought process and that kind of discussion. You know, I mean, and it was it's something that I think, you know, and I was talking about this in the screening just now when we had the screening at, at the film festival and the truth is is that these issues, transgender issues and LGBTQ issues more broadly are are kind of used as a as a way for um, you know, politicians and you know people in the public eye to create a little bit of a wedge um, between like the religious right and people who are more conservative and everybody else and it's something that 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 gets people riled up and and that's you know it's, it's a controversial topic and that's something that you know it's very effectively used and deployed by those people why do you think it's controversial though because i think it's something that um you know defies our preconceived ideas of what, who we are. And anytime something comes up where gender is not so simple as, you know, it's not like a binary, it's not one or the other, or it could be, or you could change from one to the other. That's something that is still in 2016 going into 2017, still something that people have to wrap their minds around. Mm. And I think that the only way to, to really wrap your mind around it is to have exposure to transgender people. Yes. And so that's what the, you know, that's implicitly, not explicitly, but that's what the film is about. You know, that's why, that was our motivation for doing the film. And I, I have you. to say, there's another interesting thing, is that, which is that, you know, we were traveling around and, you know, doing festivals, which you were talking about earlier, and we went to San Francisco, which was the second film festival, which was an incredible screening because it was mm-hmm. like, you know, the trans, that 
city, San Francisco, has the largest transgender population in the world. Um, which I did, I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't I did not know that, know that either okay. um, until I got there. But it, it coincided, the festival um, that we were at, Frameline, uh, which is an LGBTQ festival there, it's, it coincided with um, LGBTQ pride, you know, yeah. gay pride. And they had a trans march, and they and the trans march was in this park. We went to the park, and it was like the most transgender people in one place that I had ever seen in my entire life. And I was just an incredible experience yeah because i got to meet so many people i met a 13 year old kid who sang a broadway show tune in front of the whole entire group of people who was transgender who you know then read this like you know 13 year old angsty poetry and i was just like you are amazing yeah um but then also just you know the fact that there were so many people there also who weren't on the gender binary which i think is another thing that I think when we talk about transgender issues is something to start to think about the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other, that someone does not have to be male or female, that they can, you know, display characteristics of both genders or they can be fluid or they can, you know, that they can, you know, have a beard and have breasts. I mean, like that's like, you know, the kind of thing where it it was, it's eye opening to see people kind of blow up that gender binary. And it's exciting to me because I feel like it's like just a different way of thinking about, you know, gender is something that we all have to deal with on a daily basis and, and the confines of gender and what it means for us to have to, you know, be boxed in and what are the preconceived notions that people have about us because we're men or right. Yeah. I mean, I feel that personally, like, yeah, I, well, certainly I do too. And what's, what's most interesting to me about this is I think we're coming to the realization that gender is a social construct. Absolutely. You know, it, and it's, it reminds me of the way the, if you, if you study the history of this country and you look at the way the U S government classified race, you know, how do we classify race? What makes someone black? Right. And the, and the government used to deal with this when it came to voting. How, and basically, how do you disenfranchise people? Is it are they one eighth black? Are they one sixteenth black? Does it have to do with hair texture? And you go, wait a minute, what are we talking about there? There is no predefined uh, race. You know, yeah. there is no cutoff there. I think what we're starting to see is that's also true of gender. I, do, I agree. I mean, in terms of. You know, and, and we can talk about the difference between gender and sex if we want to. But in terms of gender, I, I think you're right. I think it's more of a spectrum. Okay. And and why do we have to why do we have to have just two categorizations, this or that, that's it. Why? What does that serve? I don't get it. I, I agree. I mean but I I think that we're as a nation and as a world, I think that we're a long way off from. Oh, I do from, too. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, I mean, I would. I think that we need to open up our minds about those kinds of things. Well, that's why. That's why I like having conversations like this. Yeah. The other thing, when you talk about these issues being controversial, and we're talking about wars of culture, to me, the great lie and the great farce of the culture war is that gay people or transgender people are fundamentally different from straight people. Of course. When you get right down to it, we're all kind of the same, right? We're all going to the store. We're all buying Diet Coke. You know, we're all <laughs> mowing our lawn. Like, we're, we're all paying our electric bill, right? The, the activities of our lives are not fundamentally different from one another. So why are we making it so goddamn hard for one set of the population when really we're all kind of the same? 
And I think, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, that's and a I good know question. I'm, pre- I'm preaching to the, <laughs> to the yeah. choir here. But, you know, it's it's something that, that I think about a lot. But I, what I was saying before is really what I keep coming back to, which is that I don't think inherently that people would not be able to be open-minded about this. I think it's being deployed, the yeah. issue, and being used. Um, and the rhetoric around it and the and the conversation around it is being used as something to divide us as a in, as a culture instead of unite us and i think that there is a lot of issues like that you know i think abortion is an issue like that i think yeah. that uh you know lgbtq issues in general gay marriage um and transgender rights are yeah. like issues that can be easily tapped into and it's not just in the united states but it's worldwide it's in every uh, country in the world, there is always a radical right wing faction who will happily exploit and you know try to divide instead of unite. Yeah, and and prey upon fears, you know, fear of the unknown. Yeah, you know, it, you you think about someone like uh, like Kurt Schilling, you know, former pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, who yeah. who will deploy every awful alt right horrible meme you've ever seen. Yeah, and I mean, I know he did one about. The North Carolina bathroom law, you know, there was some someone dressed, you know, almost in a caricature of drag. And it's like, this guy is going to be able to pee next to your daughter. And it's like, dude, you are missing the point. Like that that person, if that person exists, that person is a predator and not indicative of an entire group of people. And what you're doing is appalling. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So um, one thing I to that point, I want to come back to something in the film which is some of the criticism that Catherine received, the mother, mm-hmm. yeah. Coy's mother, was that uh, she was making her child trans. Yeah. And as you were making the film and as you watched Catherine react to that, uh, how was it you know, on the filmmaking side? And what, how did you decide to incorporate that? Um, was there discussions of doing more criticism, less? You know, how was the other side sort of presented and, and what was the intent in your mind? Well, it evolved throughout the course of the you know the production and the post-production of making the film i mean the the reality of the situation was that the lion's share of the criticism that the family received was from the media from online right from the internet and that's sort of that was a realization that we had um and it, it, there's a, you know you see a sea change in in the way that you know the rhetoric around this stuff it's it's it, people don't come up to you and say fuck you you're transgender right, yeah. anymore they go online and they say they, you know, they're very anonymous and they don't have yeah. to have any accountability and they can say whatever they want and they can, you know, and it can be very cutting. And way and, worse than anything you'd say to someone in like face to face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people will just say whatever they want. They will say yeah. you're Satan incarnate, reincarnated. Right. Yeah. They will say, you know, the worst things possible. And so, you know, that was something that we realized that, uh, you know, we're going to need to they did ex- like experience this and it was something that was being right. like uh, criticisms that were being leveled at them constantly. And it was something that we had to go back and do a lot of research about sure. um, in the editing room. And, you know, we would have to go online and search and find, you know, all the worst things that had to feel good. Um, it was terrible, you know, but Ugh. I think it's a very accurate, you know, portrayal of what yeah. happened and the reason why it was so devastating and difficult, you know, ultimately the film became in the editing room about, a family who is fighting for the civil rights of their child and what cost is, does that battle come at, you know, and that, and, and the, the realization hopefully that the audience takes away is that it's not, 
easy. You know, it's not, it's not these civil rights that we, you know, may take for granted are uh, everything that, you know, that has happened has been a fight and there have been personal consequences from there have been casualties and the casualties. Absolutely. And back to women getting the right to vote to like, you know, to freeing the slaves to every single social advancement that has ever happened in our country has come with a lot of heartache and turmoil and difficulty and it's not change is not easy and (laughs) you know and i certainly think that you know since we're two or three days post donald trump being elected to the highest office in our country and frankly the world i think you know it resonates in a different way uh, especially because these all these rights have the potential to be they're in peril back yeah yeah uh, I mean, that's a point that's that's well taken. And when this airs, it'll be about a week after that, which, you know, is is nothing. Yeah. But uh, coming back to that, you know, this comes at a cost. And without giving too much away, obviously, it nearly cost Catherine and Jeremy their marriage. Yeah. And as you were making this film, and the film starts about six weeks before they decide to go public with this. Right. And, like, through the process, you see... The marriage getting strained. You see the family getting strained. Coy seems to pull away from the camera a little bit more the longer you're there. What was it like as part of the filmmaking team to watch this happen in real time? It was... And how did that impact your filming process as well? I mean, it was disturbing to see the family, you know, at their wits end. And they were, you know, they were at times, you know, falling apart. I think that, you know, we had a lot of conversations with them throughout the process mm-hmm. about what we were doing and why we were doing it and why it was important to do this. Um, sure. And so we laid the groundwork for that, you know, early on. And we and, you know, and we were also like a part of their, you know, an extended part of the family in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and also, frankly, we're a family. My, I don't know if you know this, but my sister also was a cinematographer on the film. I did not know that. And, you know, my husband and I made the film together. So it's sort of like it became this thing about a family making a film about a family. And I think that that hmm. is like a I think that the, the family trusted us and, sure. you know, it, it was something that they us being there became a constant with all the people <laughs> yeah. coming in and out. There were people coming and in interviewing them and, and they were tired and they were cranky and there was all this stuff going on, but we were always sort of there in the background, um, yeah. just quietly, uh, you know, observing. Yeah. Um, and then we became like, you know, de facto babysitters sometimes, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, emotionally traumatic thing that we felt and you know that's why you're a filmmaker because you do empathize and you do feel those things but at the same time you have to just keep filming because as difficult as it is the story will not be as powerful if you don't show that part of it and that's well or or if you start hedging yeah at that point you know because the challenging thing with documentary is how much do you Every documentary filmmaker, I think, struggles with how much is the documentary itself a part of the story? Yeah. At what length are we from this? Are, yeah. are we front and center? Are we are we the documentary, you know, like Morgan Spurlock or Michael Moore, to use two very prominent examples? Or are we doing this completely from afar? And, and do we not want to intrude, you know, do we want to intrude as little as possible into their lives? That was our tactic. Right. Absolutely. I mean, certainly... <coughs> And that comes across, but 
it it still plays into the calculus and how you understand it because part part of what I was struck by since I do media relations for a living is this is almost as much a documentary about media relations as it is about transgender rights. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so watching them deal with the media, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, God, they have these media engagements just one after another after another. And that'll wear anyone down because being on for media is draining. Oh, yeah. It's hard. I mean, I, you've probably done more media than, than you'd ever care to right now doing this festival circuit. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's definitely draining and it's not easy and it's, it takes a toll without a doubt. Yeah. And it's like, you, you, like you're saying, it's like you have to be on. Yep. And that's just a fact. And it's, and it's exhausting to be on all the time. And, and then it's all exhausting to be criticized all the time. Sure. I yeah. mean, you know, you, and you have to be on and friendly with strangers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, you're, I, I try and make it as comfortable as I can for my guests, but look, I, you know, I know the score. Yeah. But no, it's exciting to do that kind of stuff, but it's also, but for them, it was a very, it was difficult over time. And so you were saying it was like, right, yeah. About me, it was as much a documentary about media relations as it was about transgender rights. And that, yeah, that is true on some level. And we were aware of that, uh, you know, yeah. at, at some point we became, aware of the fact that the media is kind of the story on some level in in a lot of ways yes because this wasn't fought uh as much in a courtroom this, you know you wouldn't call this a courtroom drama you no, know, no we're not watching a few good men no you know this is uh it's a family drama really it's it's a family drama but the fight takes place entirely in public and entirely with the media yeah which is it, it's very strange i mean almost everything that we do now is if you look at the the protests going on in North Dakota right now, it's about the pipeline that that uh, indigenous populations do not want, and there are people there in support of that. That battle is taking place in the media as well. Yeah, absolutely. Almost. I mean, everything. And the, you know, the, the interesting thing was that, like, for me, it was that Catherine and Jeremy also were really young. Like when we started filming, she was twenty seven and he was thirty one. Yeah. And they came of age at a time when, you know, social media was, you know, a huge deal. And it was they, you know, are part of the millennial generation. And, yeah. you know, very much they they were on Facebook. They were out there in a lot of ways. Um, and to us, it was fascinating to watch this because it was like we were like, this is the first generation of parents who are allowing their children to transition in a way that is like making their children feel comfortable and they are like, you know, totally at ease. It was almost like they were nonplussed right. by at the beginning, you know, the, about the fact that, that they were sharing everything. And I think that's a very millennial sort of thing. Well, growing up when uh, the real world has been on TV now yeah. for 20 tw years, yeah, 20 plus years. That's crazy. I mean, the, the idea of going in front of a camera and talking about yourself. People have YouTube channels where they just talk into the camera. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. A and, lot. And, and share everything about themselves. I don't necessarily relate to that impulse, but it's one that exists, and I think it's to your point. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I don't think that they were oversharing. I'm not saying that, no, but I no. think that it's just more like indicative of the generation that they come from and who they are, and it's not an abnormal thing, but it just is it's sort of what it is. But yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think for us, that was, that was a huge thing. Like just the fact that, okay, this is the precipice of like a new, um, way of thinking about this. Like parents now, whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you, you would have a 
child who was presenting, you know, as uh, the gender that the, not the gender that they were born as, and you mm. would say, "No, get with the program. You have to do this. You shape have to up, wear, yeah. yeah, shape up. You have to, you know, present as a boy. You have to do this." Whereas, but now it's completely different. It's like, I mean, it's not across the board, but there's certainly, you know, a lot more talk about it and it's becoming something that is more socially acceptable than it ever has been. And partially because of the fact that people like the Mathises have, yeah. you know, and somebody like, you know, Jazz Jennings, who is also like a, another transgender, uh, youth star, um, you come out of the woodwork and, uh, you know, they have television shows and they have documentaries made about right. them. And, you know, so that's unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing that's amazing to me also is some of the criticism that you'll hear is that when you're young, you, you don't have the capability of knowing, you know, that you're transgendered. Hmm. Right. I, I'm sure you've heard that before. Yeah. Right. I, that, that is not uncommon criticism. Yeah. And the, one of the stories I told to Daniel Ramos was when I was in high school theater, we had a cast of like eight guys and I think five of them ended up being gay and they would all just sort of bust each other's balls, you know, and, and they didn't, and then they'd start busting mine. They're like, Oh, you're probably gay. You don't even know it. yet." <laughs> and I go, oh, all right. So I go home one night and I go, am I gay? Like, am I actually gay? What if these guys are right? What if I am gay? And I sat down and I thought about it all night and I, I kind of tortured myself over it. I'm like, maybe I am, maybe I am. And I, I go, you know what? It comes down to I don't get that feeling in the pit of my stomach, that nervous sort of excited feeling about other guys that I do when I think about girls. Yeah. And I go, you know what? I'm straight. And at that point, I came to this realization. I, I don't know that I would have had that conversation with myself with that level of depth. But what Daniel told me is he's like, the conversation you had with yourself is the conversation every gay person has ever had with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that is applicable if, if you're talking about kids who believe that or who, who are trans, not that they believe that they're trans, but that they are. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's true on some level. I think that like it's, but I also think that it's, not very much a question, especially when the children are quite young, like this, right. like this. There's a lot of different scenarios. In Koi's case, for example, like she had been presenting as a girl or like talking about, um, you know, being a girl and kind of affirming her gender at such an early age. And it was so consistent over such a long period of time that th those kind of children, it's like, it's, it's absolutely like, it's almost we've talked to psychologists about this and yeah, yeah. you know it's it's almost guaranteed that they will become transgender when they're older and then we talked to older transgender folks um when we were out here in Colorado a couple of years ago yeah. and they all said the same thing i always knew that i <clears throat> excuse me i always knew that i was transgender and so and actually like it was very traumatic to go through puberty and it was oh, and it sure. was something that like you know they they felt that their body was betraying them and they they just knew that they were that they were trans and so you know that's something that you know is a fact <laughs> i mean <laughs> i think that there's i think that there's a spectrum though as we were talking about before sure yeah. and i do think that gender and sexuality both exist on that continuum and i think that there are other people who and it, and this is why parenting is important and education is important to understand these issues and to understand the complexities of these issues that like you know, that may be the case that, 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 you know, someone like Koi is trans, but that may not be the case for everybody. And that may mm, be like, yeah. you know, you may have to allow them to have some kind of experimentation and monitor it, you know, and that's, sure. and that's something that, you know, is, you know, something that 
we have to have a conversation with within the psych the psych psychiatric community and within the larger culture, the broader culture in general. And it's it's starting to happen. You know, it's sure. but you know the the really frightening thing though is that you know in the wake of this election the truth is is that it's it's a lot of these rights that have been gained over the course of the last you know couple of years are going to be rolled back and that's a very sad thing well and there i mean i would say they're certainly at risk you know nothing has happened yet but i think to your point it's important that we fight for them yeah, and, or just be aware, at, right. at least. Be aware, because I, I don't think that a lot of people are thinking of it in that way, like understanding that, you know, Donald Trump is, is going to, going to do that. He will do that. And it's sort of only a matter of time, but, and it hasn't happened yet. You're right. But I do think it's important to be aware of the fact that he is going to roll back these rights that were, you know, that Coy was the very first case in Colorado. And then we saw other cases in Cal- in uh, California. And then Obama had uh, just this past year did a, you know, a, an executive order where he allowed transgender students to have access to the bathrooms that they um, feel comfortable in. And, you know, that executive order is, go- is most likely going to be repealed. So right. I think that's important to sort of understand. Your your point is well taken. As we raise awareness, I, one of the most lasting things from this film is if you look at the level of care and the level of love that the Mathises have for Coy and the level of sensitivity and their their willingness to fight on behalf of their child, that is, I mean, that's inspiring. It is. I, you know, it, and, and that, that, is, that is a beautiful thing because to your point, if, if your child believes that they are in the wrong body, that they are trans, the Mathises could have taken a much different tack with yeah, Koi. Absolutely. And, and the fact that they didn't, I think, is, is a very beautiful thing and one of, the, one of the enduring things from the film. Because in a vacuum, this is the way I like to think of it, would your child, if in a vacuum, given the ultimate choice, choose to be trans? Probably not, because that's going to be a much more challenging path. Yeah, absolutely. So, so why wouldn't we help them as much as we possibly could live the best life that they can? Absolutely. So, absolutely. I, and, and I, I know I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of lobbing these toward you, but it's, it's. No, no. I mean, I think that that's a very relevant point. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that ultimately in the film, and I don't think it's giving away too much to say this, but the arc of the film really is about the, the family, sort of, you know, and talking about, you know how the media has impacted their their lives at the end of the film they sort of make this decision you know <laughs> not to continue to do media which is probably wise um exactly and I, I you know i do as incredible as it as their open-mindedness is it's like i completely understand and respect their decision to like you know to not proceed with doing media and to take a step back and to pull back because it's not easy to be in the spotlight. It's not easy to be <laughs> no. in that kind of a situation. And so, you know, it's, I have an incredible amount of respect for them yeah. and I completely understand that decision because they, they were very clear. Well, and, and their willingness to go through this, I think, blazes a trail for others to follow in their wake Yeah. Um, in, in a way that, you know, hopefully increases understanding, uh, increases sensitivity increases the rights for all all americans and people all across the world so i hope so <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I when you guys set out to make this did you have that goal in mind or is that sort of a byproduct that came about as you were filming it 
I do think that we were thinking that, you know, we, we make social issue documentaries. We're very aware of, you know, the fact that we want to tell personal stories that have, you know, the politics like kind of baked into the story. Yeah, right, right. Um, and we we just saw this as an opportunity to open up that conversation and to be able to – because we thought like if, if somebody is with – Koi and the family for an hour and a half and they understand they see and they experience it very it's 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 like you know very fly on the wall it's not like we're not telling you what to think this is just what it is and so when people have the opportunity to see that we just thought there definitely is going to be some realization and so and there has been we've you know as we go across the world with this and we go talk to different audiences people consistently say you know, I never thought of it this way. That's Even great. just a couple of you know hours ago, when we f- finished the screening, it was like you know this is a totally new thing. I didn't think of it this way, and seeing her and the whole family over the course of the film, uh, you know, is eye opening. And I didn't tell them that that was my <laughs> uh, goal, you know, but that is what it happened. So it's very gratifying. Well, yeah, you don't want to underline it for people. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I. It, it comes about, which which is a credit to you all, because you did you did a very nice job of presenting this story in a way where the audience can sort of draw its own conclusions for its own life and applicability in society. Yeah, and you know, documentary filmmaking is not easy, and it's not uh, very <laughs> lucrative. So it's like if you don't have, if you're not getting that, you know, social impact sort of facet of the of it going out there and taking it right. out and experiencing it and showing it and talking about the issue and talking about why it's meaningful for you then what's the point yeah <laughs> then what are you doing yeah exactly all right well jeremy i'll tell you what um this was uh i i adored this film uh growing up coy is just tremendous and it it's a pleasure to get to sit down i'm glad that you all came through denver me too i'm glad i had the opportunity to uh, to sit down and chat with you about it and um, where are you guys going next? Where can we find more about Growing Up Koi if people want to see it? How well, might they have those opportunities? Like in the Facebook page, of course, <laughs> is always good. And um, going to growingupkoi.com has a list of all the screenings. And we're going to have um, – we're actually going to do a screening tour. Oh, nice. Um, where we're going to go to – there are 12 states that were suing the Obama administration. And, you know, obviously that's probably going to change. But those states are, you know, some of the places in this country where the issue of transgender – rights needs to be talked about the most. So we're going to sure. um, go to all those states. So that's a really important thing. So certainly check in and uh, see if we're coming to one of those states. And then it will be available widely. I can't talk too much about that. Okay. But it's going It's going to have some distribution and it's going to have some life. And so that's very exciting too because hopefully we'll be able to broaden the conversation and, sure. even, and, and even reach more people. When might that be widely available? In January. January? Okay. So not, not far from now. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, just a couple of months. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremy. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. And uh, great work. Continued success to you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And that'll do it for episode 114 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jeremy Stilberg for taking some time to chat with me about the film Growing Up Koi. The more I learn about these issues, the more I'm convinced we need to fight for those who themselves are fighting for their fundamental rights. I am an ally, I'm an advocate, I'm a white, straight, cisgendered, as mainstream a white guy as you can get, and these issues mean a lot to me, so I just do whatever I can to lend my voice to gaining equal rights for the folks who need them, and I hope you do the same. So, he gave you the plug for Growing Up Koi, you can find that on their Facebook page, 
on their website. All of that is linked on the companion blog piece on John of All Trades, J-O-N, of alltrades.us. Take a quick minute to thank our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're running any kind of campaign or if you need publicity for what you're doing, 4Degrees will get you on the networks in front of the people who need to see your message and they will do it at a rate that is truly remarkable. It'll make your head explode. I love working with 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades Podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check us out on the web, D-E-F-T C-O-M dot U-S. I'm back here in just a couple of days with our second documentary, The Actors of Sound. I previewed it a little bit on Facebook, inside look at the way films are made, and uh, it's just enormously entertaining. So, until I see you then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.